I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. They want benign indifference. They want us drugging. We could be pets. We could be food. But all we really are is livestock. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. The world needs a wake-up call. We're going to phone it in. And welcome to another episode of the Great Deception Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Thanks for joining. This evening, we have two of my favorite people that I've gotten to talk to so far and my good Instagram friends. We're going to talk a little music tonight, and I'm excited about this because I've been balls deep in in old world stuff and uh and making rounds on podcasts but i've been listening to davy does great work on uh his men on films series and uh and old scary has been making rounds and i heard him talking a lot on uh into the apocalypse about some musical stuff with adam and chud x and man i'm excited for tonight so uh welcome to the show Davey Wavy from the Red Pill Cartel and uh, Old Scary World. How's it going, guys? Good. Fantastic, man. Yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, yeah thanks for you, joining. Man. I was excited about this one. Yeah, you don't get to do too many of these. I was I was just talking with, uh, with Davey about this. And, you know, there's a point where you start getting into a little bit of an echo chamber in, in the podcast world. You know, when you start listening to certain podcast genres like we do um the same people go around and the same topics go around and you get stuck in these ruts and i really feel like tonight when we we start diving into music we were even saying before this there's so many routes you can go with it um and it's so deep but the ties are much like everything else there's a lot of government influence there's a lot of uh three-letter agency influence and there's a lot of nefarious activity that happens associated with music. And, and I don't know about you guys, but I, I know scary, you're, you're much more awake than, than most, um, you know, mm-hmm. knowing your background. but I, you know, I, I kind of took music at face value up until I was probably in my early twenties, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, I thought it was the, and then I started seeing things that didn't make sense, you know, and mm-hmm. it was kind of when like the boy bands started getting big that I realized that something <sighs> was up because this music was awful and it was Fucking everywhere. Downright terrible, man. Yeah. And it was just, uh, so, we yeah. fun them whether it was in high school. Yeah. It was back on the radio. School, it was on the TV. It was in it. 
commercials. <laughs> it was in uh, TV shows. It was in movies. It was everywhere. And I could never figure out why. It's just marketing. You know, they, they changed up the formula in the 80s. Uh, I mean, yeah, some could right. say that it, it kind of started, you know, in the 60s even. But for sure, in the 90s, they started just looking at music as a product, something that could be sold beyond records and beyond CDs. And one of the first people to really kind of pioneer that or really get really good at that was actually Michael Jackson. And he wasn't really ashamed of it. He was pretty proud of it, actually. It was what he would do is when he would write a song. See, so he'd write a song first. Then he'd write a dance to that song. Then he'd think about all the companies he could sell that song to. And then he'd think about all the movies he could sell it to. And then he would have a list and he would go down and he would pitch it to everybody that could give him money. So he would take one song, see like a, like a, like an artist makes an album says, here's an album, listen to it, enjoy it, whatever. I'll go on tour. I'll play some of the songs live. Without Michael Jackson. Sacrificing integrity. Right. Michael Jackson would say, here's a, here's a song. Now, now what can I do with this? song?" And he would look at the song as, as a product that he could sell and he would have a dance for every song and all that kind of stuff. But as far as the boy band thing goes, you know, the, the Beatles were a boy band. The Rolling Stones were a boy band. The Sex Pistols especially were a boy band. You know, the, the Sex Pistols were put together by Richard Hell. And right. if you don't know who Richard Hell is, you can look, people listening can look into who Richard Hell was. And he was a manager, producer, and he got Sid Vicious and Johnny Rotten and the other guys. And they put them together like the first punk boy band because he saw punk as something that could be marketed. Like, in my opinion, punk died in 1981. Like punk rock died before I was even born. So, and I was going to say that because not, once you mentioned that about boy bands and, and, and mentioning those names, I automatically thought of all of the hair bands, right? The androgynous hair bands. Oh, yeah. And that's oh, like Cinderella like, and Poison and all that shit. Yeah. Lost <laughs> like all the Motley Crew. Yeah. yeah. All that, all that stuff. Yeah. And if you want to look into the, the, the origins of, of pop music or music being, you know, uh, a huge moneymaker is you look into, I believe it's called uh, Tin Pan Alley or Tin Pie Alley or something like that in the fifties. And it was a record company that was making 45s and they were just, their business was just putting out as many 45s as possible and sending them off to the radio. And they were the ones I think that started doing that payola where they would put like a $20 bill, which was a lot of money at the time or a 50 or a hundred dollar bill in the record sleeve when they would send it off to the record companies in the fifties. And that was like, that was called payola. And it was like the, the DJ got a record with a $50 bill or a hundred dollar bill or whatever. To coerce like, them to play. Yeah. It was like play yeah. it more than anybody. Else. And then whoever payola the most got played the most. And then they, that started the top 40 and the top 40 thing. I mean, you know, that's, that's how it is. And it hasn't gone away because now we have iTunes and Spotify top four, you know, we have these like trending artists and, you know, it's a business and that's okay. You know, you have to look at it like, you have to look at it kind of like food. You know, it's like some people eat to be healthy. Some people cook and they go to fancy restaurants and it's like a thing. And some people just eat to survive. Like they don't really like food. They just kind of eat it because they need it to live. Music's the same way. You can look at it like a product. You can look at it like art or you can look at it like deception. And it's up to us to figure out who's who's deceiving and who's doing it for the art and who's doing it for the money and who's doing it for a combination of the three. You know, it's true. like very true. You know, and everybody's 
everybody's talking about Rage Against the Machine charging, you know, X amount of money to get in and you got to be, you know, you got to have your rooster shots, you know, um, <laughs> and it's like they were sellouts from the beginning. They were they were yeah. dirty commie, they were dirty commies from the beginning, from the very beginning. It was obvious that they were brought in. And you look up the Wikipedias of these people, and then it just, it just you know it all makes sense who these people's parents were, and what schools they went to, and all that kind of stuff. It's just a continuation of the cultural Marxist Frankfurt School infiltration of the United States of America through, you know, a subversion. You know, I almost fell for that crap. I was like the the prime age. Well, I was actually a little on the younger side when they came out, but I was a little ahead of the curve. And I remember all my friends, and I said, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. It sounds like they want us to like get in trouble, you know? And they said, what, what do you mean? And I said, it sounds like it's, it's like, it's designed to make us like pissed off so that we get in trouble, you know, like we, we want to burn things. Or well, we that's the go... whole point of gangster rap. Yeah. Right? For sure. oh, that's... oh, don't you, you want to talk about, you want to talk about the gangster rap phenomena of the 1980s. You know, there's a famous story where there was a party in Bel Air in like 1987 and they all like record executives, artists, you know, everybody involved. And they all had to sign NDAs. And so supp supposedly some guy spilled the beans and he didn't, you know, say who he was because he didn't want to get in trouble. But he said the California Correctional Department was there. There was people, there was people from the California Department of Corrections there, like prison, like, you know, people. And then you get in the whole, you know, prison industrial complex and all that. And anyway, so they just, they, the record executives and the producers, all the people with the money, and then they all said, okay, like, if you don't want to sign the NDA, then you got to leave. So the guy said there were some people that left. They didn't want to sign the NDA. They left. Some people stayed. And what they talked about was it was like Columbia, Sony, uh, Electrica, you know, all the big labels were like, are we going to fund this stuff or are we going to let them do it on their own? Like, do you think we can make money off of this or are we going to let them kind of just do their own thing like Def Jam because this was before uh, Rick Rubin and Russell Simmons, you know, got big. So there was like independent, you know, hip hop and rap labels operating out of, you know, Los Angeles and New York respectively, but they were like, are we going to fund it? Are we going to give these guys millions of dollars? And so they talked about how the, the plan was, and that's, this is why the prison, you know, people were there was it will increase crime and then we can build more prisons and we can keep this incarceration cash cow going. In other words, dirty pool, man. yeah, you know, and then you look like I have no problem with hip hop. I have no problem with certain rappers, but I've never been a huge fan of gangster rap because I saw it for what it was. It was like, if you guys like think about it, and this is I instantly, I instantly saw it for what it was. And I was like, this is yeah. fucking retarded. Why are you guys into this shit? And it was exactly. making white people want to be black. I'm like, you guys are fucking dumb, dude. Well, that's the thing too. Is it's like, I know this is controversial, but think about it. Think about where African-Americans would be right now in 2022 if gangster rap never happened. Let's just pretend it never happened. They just stuck with hip hop and positivity, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Like more, you wouldn't have you know, all that trap shit we have today. You wouldn't have all the yeah. garbage mumble rap you have today because that all stems from gangster rap. People with rainbow teeth and rainbow hair. Because there wasn't shit. there wasn't a lot of talent in the gangster rap, you know. I mean, it was all fabricated and and false, you know. It wasn't real art. Um. Oh no, it's just all about killing people. It was all about trying to get clout. It was all about like selling drugs, how many, getting money, murdering, gang people, banging, 
Yeah. Yeah. Gangbanger. It was all that kind of shit. Like what set you run with and all that stuff. And it spawned a whole lingo. And all that lingo was like prison lingo. So those guys took what was going on in the joint and they started rapping about it. Like they lived that life. And some of them had, and some of them hadn't, but like, if you want to know, I'll give your, I'll give the listeners, you know, a little, little uh, assignment. If you want to know more about what's going on, a person who's really been spilling the beans on the whole thing and putting it into contemporary context is a rapper named daylight. So shout out to daylight. Like he's a freestyle rapper, but he'll, he'll tell in his interviews he's done on YouTube. Like if you search daylight, uh, Vlad TV, he went on Vlad TV and he, he explained the whole thing. He said, they give these guys money and then they spend it all on stuff that they own jewelry, sports cars, mansions, alcohol, drugs. So they give these guys million dollar contracts, multi-million dollar contracts. They give them pretty much unlimited carte blanche. They can go anywhere and do anything, but all the money just gets fueled back in. It gets all gets funneled back into the people who are giving them the money and they got to pay taxes on it. You see? So they're like, here, here's some money. It's like, it's like funny money. It's like monopoly money. Yeah. And it's, it's almost a way of, you know, laundering money. And I've always looked at Mm -hmm. the music industry and the film industry and entertainment as a whole, because you look at the astronomical numbers they talk about and a, I find it hard to believe those are real. I, I, I think they're somewhat. You talked, you talked about this on uh, master debaters. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and so now we look at, you know, what's going on here and uh, like you're saying, yeah, you're paying these guys a lot of money, but then you're, you know, enticing them to basically spend it in your businesses. So it's well, they just, have to, yeah, they actually have oh, to, because it's part, well, it's part of the lifestyle. Like if they don't have ice, if they don't have bling, if they don't have a Ferrari, if they don't have a Maserati, then it's like they got no credibility in the world that they're that they're rapping about. Like you can't right. be a fr- you can't be frugal. You can't be like a simple person. It doesn't match up with the image. And that's what I'm saying about real rappers, real hip hop people. They don't have to have that image. It's not about it. That's not what they're selling. That's not what they're. Um, it's not what the audience expects. Oh, you know? scary! I'm very curious as to what you think about Tom McDonald. Who's that? Oh shit! You don't know. Okay, you know, you know, Matt, right? Yeah. Give him a rundown is, of Tom McDonald. Is that no. that? Is that that? Is that that red pilled uh, rapper or whoever? He's, he is? A, Canadian, he's a Canadian, Canadian rapper. rapper, white rapper. He lives he's in California now. Of course, but yeah, he's always <laughs> talking about social issues, and you know, he's mm. just he's bringing yeah, truth. Yeah. And I didn't know that people. was his name. Yeah, and he, yeah. he's called out everyone from the music industry you know, uh, to, you know, government, big pharma, everyone. I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's one of those guys who has been calling it as it actually is. And it's funny because he just put a video out on Friday morning with uh, Adam Calhoun and YouTube pulled it down. It was called new world order. And there was nothing that broke the community guidelines, but right away, as soon as he posted it, it attached that little banner on top of his video from Wikipedia mm-hmm. saying new world order is a conspiracy theorist, blah, 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 blah or a conspiracy oh theory God. and all this shit. And then within like five minutes, his video got pulled off of YouTube. So he's, he's faced a lot of censorship uh, over, over what he, he puts out there and he's independent, mm-hmm. you know, which is rare these days. Yeah. He makes videos of himself. Like, uh, 
you know, shipping out his own merch to people and shit. Him and his girlfriend, right? Yep. And his girlfriend cool, produces man. all his videos. It's all He's done. Very po- yeah, yeah, house. Nova. Yeah. She's yeah, I didn't got know an that. upside down cross tattoo on her neck. Oh well, there like that's, that. That's that's it then. Right. <laughs> you know. I mean, it, it, he puts out a very positive message where it's like, you know, I was nothing. You can do this too, and everybody mm-hmm. can do it. You know, which I admire, but at the same time their tattoos that they have and shit a lot of people are exposing them uh for like freemasonry and shit like that uh i don't know you know what i mean like i just take i don't get too deep into like if somebody's a freemason or not or whatever i've given up on that davy i I, i've honestly i've given up if i doesn't make any difference really yeah if i like the art i'm gonna enjoy the art for what it is I've given up on giving any of these people any sort of respect, you know, like we, I, I won't lie. I used to put like athletes and movie stars and shit on pedestals thinking they were these important people. And now it's like, dude, they're, they're just assholes who are put there. They're puppets, you know, they're pawns. So listen, if, if there's a musician that puts out good music, but he's got a fucking six, six, six on his forehead, you know, as long as he's not preaching about the devil in the song, I don't give a fuck what he does in his own time. Or, you know, as long as he's not, you know, must and kids, a different story. I don't listen to R Kelly or any of that shit anymore, but that's, you know, I'm going to piss on you. I'm going to pee on you. Dude, that's so funny. (laughs) I'm a big fan of the band ghost. And I sent you a video the other day of their newest song and they are blatantly outright. Just like, Look at us. We're satanic, right? Yeah. They don't hide anything. The guy, the singer comes out with a fucking uh, <clears throat> Pope's garb and like an upside down cross crown, right? And they got a like a satanic cathedral in the background on their stage. Yep. It's like, dude, <laughs> like I'd rather a band like that be open with it than them fucking trying to hide it and give us symbolism that's like doesn't have anything to do with the music you know what i mean but the music itself isn't like trying to like you know conjure up spirits and shit like right fucking no it's actually it's actually well that's what i was gonna say it's actually the pop music that's actually more like i'm not into all that satanic stuff you know i think it's all gimmick but um the thing about like travis scott astro world ritual and all that kind of stuff um is that's actually the stuff that's more dangerous because with that, it looks innocent. It's like a, um, you know, you ever see those people, they like take like a bar of soap and they dip it in chocolate and then they give it to somebody and they go, Oh, here, you want some chocolate? Sugar coated fucking satanic Satanism. It's what I'm saying is lady Gaga. And, uh, what was the other one that got in trouble? Um, John legend and his, um, his wife, you know, Chrissy Teigen. Yeah, it's like they're sugarcoated. They look like, oh, it's all wholesome and all this kind of stuff. It's not. Those people are actually the sickest people out there. Like I've I've been involved with a lot of bands and especially in the heavy uh, heavy metal world and all that kind of stuff. And those people are pussies. Like I'm not going to name any names or, you know, any trash talking, but the, the black metal guys and the speed metal and the death metal, those guys are the biggest. Some of those, not all of them, but a lot of those guys are actually like the biggest softies in the whole music that, sure, dude. that stuff it's not like what it was um you know actually you know speaking of heavy metal uh heavy metal used to be blatantly right wing like they were super for the use the parlance of our times uh toxic masculine you know what i'm saying 
like in the 80s, all the Metallica fans and the Megadeth and the Slayer and uh, what's, what's another one like, you know, Carcass, you know, all the death metal. Those guys were like, they were, they were manly dudes. I mean, there were, a lot of them were like teenagers and guys in their early 20s, but they were actually more uh, right-leaning like politically and as far as like with the, the homophobia thing and all that kind of stuff. But nowadays, I mean, you got all kinds of like gay black metal and you got the Antifa <laughs> black, black metal. And, you know, if you're serving Satan, I guess, you, you know, you would want to be a homosexual because that's like that's all part of the whole deal. The whole um, being, yeah, a dege- being, a, being a degenerate and everything. I'm, waiting for, and all that shit. I'm yeah. waiting for a transgender black metal band. <laughs> oh, there's probably already a few out there. They're just not, you know, it's just not, you know, that big yet or anything. But right. I mean, that, that was my forte in the early 2000s um, was like raw underground, true black metal, like recorded purposely shitty, like with one mic, no mix, no bass, just guitar and drums. I and love singing. that shit. Like the old school Norwegian stuff, you know, like Dark Throne or, you know, uh, Old Mayhem, something like that, like, or, you know. I, that that was my world. I knew a lot about all that kind of stuff. And what I learned in my research, because it, it kind of, I was already into the occult and conspiracy theories and all that kind of stuff. But what I learned was this, that world was completely separate from Hollywood, meaning that in the late 80s and the early uh, 90s, all those black metal guys, they were completely unsigned. Like there's only a few successful black metal bands and that it's kind of questionable, but we could say Cradle of Filth, even though they're not really black metal, they're kind of more goth metal, but yeah. some people consider them black metal. A lot of black metal people listen to them. And then Danny's Dark- story is very interesting though. Yeah. I don't really, I don't know too much about his, his whole, well, his whole. Well, he, uh, I'll give you a brief rundown. Mm-hmm. He, he was in a super religious household, Christians, and uh, he was breaking away from it. And um his family put him in a mental asylum for like a a year or two right and he was like just sitting in in this mental asylum and thinking of what he's going to do when he gets out he decided to make this super fucking evil looking death metal band right (laughs) to like yeah kind of kind of be like now i'm gonna rise above and show you i'm not really crazy i might look crazy but i'm not you know yeah, no, I mean, there's some Cradle of Filth songs I like. Like, I, I consider them, like, gothic metal, or they have a very romanticized kind of feel to them. And like vampiric. The, yeah, very vampiric. And, you know, obviously a lot of shock, you know, a lot of anti-Christian kind of stuff. But, you know, that's that's kind of my point is a lot of those guys, you know, they love animals and they're very, like, you know, some of them are, like, vegetarians. Yeah, they're softies, and, yeah. Yeah. And I saw so, um, Jamie Josta from Hatebreed. Sorry to cut you off. Oh, that's okay. Uh, he has a, a YouTube uh, series called Metal Guys Doing Non-Metal Things, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them was showing George Fisher, Corpse Grinder, the singer of Cannibal Corpse, mm-hmm. going to like uh, a Target or something and buying cute little toys for his daughter. Right? He's like, oh, I yeah. love this stuff, you know? Well, that's, like, that's, that's, that's like the new thing now. It's like that's, that's the new dichotomy is um, like to, to keep things fresh. It's like, oh you know, isn't it funny? Like the ironicism of it. It's like, it's another, it's another gimmick. It's another kind of uh, shtick. You know, I listen to bands, you know, and I, I, some of them, my like favorite metal song, I have no idea what these guys look like. They don't have a Wikipedia. Their, their stuff's not on iTunes. Their stuff's not allowed on Spotify, all that kind of stuff. There was a big purge 
but to get back to the point was I was already into conspiracy theories and the occult and all that kind of stuff when I, before I got into black metal. And so in my research of black metal, I found that there was some black metalers who they weren't Levian Satanists. In other words, they weren't atheists with more steps. They were actually real Satanists. And when I say real, I mean, Orthodox. And this, a lot of controversy about this. Like if you talk to people from the church of Satan or the temple of set, or what's the other one, uh, the one that paid for the Baphomet statue in Kansas or wherever right, it was. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the, the church of Satan. Well, the church of Satan. Is, it's is, got is that the, guy with the cloudy eyes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, a, there's, there's a few of, there's a few different offshoots of the original one that was started by Anton LaVey in the sixties. And that was, you know, more of a kind of a social club. And we can get into that later, but for right now, I forget what, what the hell they were called, but um, they started in like 2004 and they were like kind of, they were actually worse. They were actually more secular. They were actually just kind of in it just to be kind of social justice warriors. But um, the thing is, is that there's Orthodox Satanism and Orthodox Satanism, the most of them are in Italy. And what they believe is that, you know, Satan is real to them. In other words, it's not just a, an inversion of Christianity. It's not just a, it's a an fashion actual of- entity. Yeah, and they 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 worship the dude, and they commit vile acts. You know things that we can't even talk about on the podcast, but you can you know use your um, imagination. But they, yeah, they they commit murder, uh, they rape, they torture, they do all these evil things. But they're very sophisticated people, and that's why, like I said, most of them are in Italy, but obviously they have them in Luxembourg and places like that. And how this ties I mean, in- if that shit exists then of course these fucking psychopaths that are running this world do like way worse shit, you know? Well, that's the thing. And the music has always been a way to, um, they, they, they always reward the, well, they always reward the artist. And this goes back into ancient Greece, like the artists and the, the theater actors of ancient Greece. And, and then obviously into uh, ancient Rome, but it started in ancient Greece where, okay. So if you were like a good, you're really good at playing the lyre you know, that stringed instrument that they had in ancient Greece or the flute. Yep, L- you know, L-Y-R-E. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and you it's were like a harp, were, right? Yeah. It's kind of like a, yeah, it's kind of like a harp. It's like a small harp. So if you were good at playing that, or you're a good singer, or you're a good actor, or you're a good dance, you're, 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 you know, the equivalent to, you know, an entertainer, you were an entertainer. Okay. Well, then you didn't have to serve in the military. You didn't have to pay taxes. And you were above the law. And if you went places, people were supposed to like treat you like their sister roll out the red carpet. Now like that bard, church, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess a, yeah, a bard, you know, a bard would be more like um, a traveling a kind of guy. Yeah. They were like, that, that was more like in the middle ages, but we go back to the equivalent to like, if you were playing uh, an instrument or you were performing a, uh, a play in ancient Greece, you know, in the, in the amphitheater, you were like the equivalent to a rock star or you were the equivalent to a, a Hollywood movie star. Now, those practices went away for a while. I mean, different cultures didn't ever pick it up, but let's just kind of stick to the Western world. Now, in the Western world, that never really quite went away. It just kind of had peaks and valleys and there was lulls in it. But ever since we came here and we started Hollywood in the early 1900s, 
it was like amplified, it's amplified and brought back to that, and then but also brought to 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 new levels that we had never seen before. So these these ways that we treat people is not new. In other words, the people who performed in ancient Greece, the people who performed uh, in well, I shouldn't say performed, but competed in the old Olympics and the original ancient Olympics, and then uh, going through the centuries, we've always kind of seen similarities to what we're seeing now, which is these people are worth our veneration, these people are worth our respect, but they're not really doing anything other than what we tell them to do. In other words, an actor or an actress, they read scripts, right? So they're, they're basically like professional liars because they pretend to be somebody else. It's all, it's all phony. Anybody right. can do it. Anybody can do it because you can be a character. Like if you're a shitty actor, well, then you just give them an easy script. If they're retarded, you know, they're like kind of like borderline, you know, two digit IQ, well, then you just have them play a retard. You know what I mean? You become a character actor. Or you you put them in in, in comedies, right? Like a Will Ferrell. Mm -hmm. Or a Pauly Shore. Pauly Shore is a good example because, and he's totally honest about this, is that he pigeonholed himself. He, He started playing the weasel and it was like, that's all he could do. And that's why his acting career took a shit because people were tired of the weasel. Yeah, it's like that's all he could do, and that's all that people expected him to do. But we're getting a little off topic because we're getting into movies. I'm saying that, but the music thing—it's kind of the same thing. You have a situation where you can manipulate people through rhythmic, you know, things, or you can manipulate them through the words, you know, the actions, and then also people get really into like what these people do when they're not performing or they're not recording music. And it's like, ooh, it, it turns into gossip. It's like, oh, you know, what's so-and-so like? And what's he doing? And then people copy that kind of stuff. In other words, they give their endorsement to something. And we and see then, that and, with... And then you have the thing, the fact that, like, uh, a singer, like, take, for instance, Meatloaf. He passes away. Everybody fucking knows about it, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, say I died, people would have to dig and find out what happened to me. Right. <laughs> right. Well, and what, what happens when they die too? Their music goes through. They the become roof. a bigger star, big spike. Yeah. At least yeah. temporarily. I mean, but that's I, what you notice. And yep. that's how some of these guys get noticed by other generations too, is they never hear about them. Then all of a sudden when they die, mm-hmm. they're like, Oh, who's this guy? And they go check out. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, they got half his catalog in their, in their iPhone, you know? Um, yeah, and who make and who makes money from that? The yeah. people who own the 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 royalties. Well, and that's what I was going to ask you, Scary. Uh, you know, on the money side, when we look at you know, and it was huge as we grew up. I look at something like MTV, and and I almost see that as like the death blow to music. Um, you know, true music before it became totally commercialized, be- before it became totally manipulated right and and we were told what music we was good and what wasn't good um i think i think yeah i think that happened a little bit later when mtv actually became profitable but in the beginning here's the thing here's my opinion on that in the beginning the music video format was like a revolutionary art form it was like we could do this thing where we could make these little stories and we could make them long we we chose to 
make the videos as long as the songs 99% of the time. But once in a while, you'd actually get a filmmaker, somebody who was really interested in, in video art, uh, video artists. Well, it's like November the, rain, right? Yeah. Some, some kind of epic, you know, kind of video like that. But in the early days, in the early eighties, they were already making music videos and they would send those out as like promotion and people would watch them and say, okay, pretty good. You know? And then MTV said, well, what if we just started playing these things like for the public? Cause there's like, inter- there was like internal music videos. Like there, a really good one is uh, there's a video for paranoid by black Sabbath. And they made that in the seventies. They made that way before MTV. I don't know if you've, you've probably seen it. It's the one where there's like trippy shit going on in the background yes. and they're playing parent, they're playing paranoid. I think they made one for Iron Man too. And so there, there was music videos before MTV. MTV was the, the one who came along and said, well, let's just play them 24 hours a day. So a lot of the video artists and small time filmmakers, they got really excited. They said, yeah, like this is a really cool medium. We can make like little stories with the music and it can be very poignant. It can be very, you know, moving and, and important. Like they were some music videos are art for sure. But then it just kind of, you know how these things go. It just kind of devolved into just crap. I'd say probably around, you know, the, the late eighties, it just, they were just churning out just crap, like just crappy music videos where he had a, an opportunity to have, you know, visual art mixed with the music. And it was like this, you know, symbiotic relationship, but of course, you know, money and all that kind of stuff gets, you know, wrapped up in there, but people still make music videos. You know, you can watch them on YouTube. You can watch them on iTunes. Yeah. You know, it's a power, it's a powerful uh, format, you know, and it's never really going to go away. I don't think, cause you know, there's, there's good music videos. I've actually, I've made a couple for some small bands cause I was, you know, a photographer slash videographer for us. So, you know, it, it's fun to listen to a song and say, how, how, how can I make this a visual piece? You know, but of course we have to, you know, stick on the subject. Now, where do music videos play into the manipulation? Well, I mean, they're perfect for manipulation because you can put visual cues and you can get people to dress differently. You know, you can say, uh, like, remember when MC Hammer came out? Remember when MC Hammer <laughs> came out? Everybody, want, pants. everybody wanted the parachute pants. Yeah, or crisscross. Remember crisscross? The, the backwards pants. Yeah, everybody was doing that when I was in grade yeah. six. I was like, what the fuck are you guys doing, dude? Exactly. So you think that people would have been doing that shit if they even had that song crisscross and make you jump, jump? Of course not. You know? So, and then it was like a way also with the gangster rap because they would show drive-bys. Like they'd have uh, dramatized versions you know, they'd have reenactments basically in those gangster rap videos. They'd show them doing drive-bys and drinking 40 ounce malt liquor bottles and smoking crack and selling crack and pimping out hose. Like and it's all, a good it was thing all, to do. Like, yeah, like this is like how you can get one over on Whitey is like, you know, you hustle. Well, and they it's were like, bringing, they were bringing the prisons to the streets, right? Especially from a, um, a style standpoint, right? That's where the pants sagging came in. And uh, and a lot of the cultural shit that was going on, like you were saying, you you were talking about the crack epidemic and all that. That's straight mm-hmm. out of the prison complex. Well, it's like I think they were going to plan. I think that the CIA and the government, you know, the people that were going to profiteer from all this. I think they totally planned on pushing, um, you know, menthol cigarettes and malt liquor and putting a liquor store on every corner and creating food deserts. In other words, 
you know, not having, you know, major grocers in black uh, communities and having them rely on, you know, uh, dollar stores and liquor stores for their groceries. I think they planned on doing all that stuff, but they needed a way to make it kind of in a way kind of glamorous to the Gen Xers because the Gen Xers, they were like the era, they were the generation of the original gangster rappers. Like they weren't millennials, obviously, and they weren't boomers. Although I guess maybe some of them, maybe some of the really early ones might've been, but so I think that they needed a way to, to make it into a culture that could be, you know, something that people would actually strive for. Like there's an old saying about like black communities is like they either they want to be athletes or rappers, you know, so they had to kind of, uh, you know, make it do that. Exactly. Like make it like something that was actually worthwhile, like not like, hey, we're living in poverty. We should probably do something about this because that's the way it would have been without the gangster rap. It would have been like they would have noticed it. They would have been like, they're just literally trying to kill us. Like they're literally just trying to pit us against each other. So they needed to try to make that, uh, I guess you call it uh, division between, you know, the classes, like turn them into, to heroes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I sell drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Like make it like fashionable. Right. Yeah. Would you compare that to what happened in the sixties with, you know, with the way that, you know, the CIA was in the music industry pushing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up because that was the great shit. You know, I don't think, you know, I don't know about the great, maybe the the Grateful Grateful Dead Dead were the ones that pushed the acid on everybody. Well, yeah, Timothy Leary, like Timothy Leary, like that dude, you know, a lot of people don't understand where that guy was coming from. Like he, he was, um, he was part of the whole thing. Like he is not a good dude. Like people, you know, kind of treat him as this like hippie guru. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, what was what was his mantra? What was his programming? Was uh, tune in, uh, t- tune in, t- turn on, drop out. You know, he had like that three line kind of thing. It was like tune in, uh, turn on, drop out. Um, if you guys remember that whole thing that he used to preach. No, I'm not sure. It was a three line thing and it was basically like tune in, turn on, drop out or something like that. And it was like, it was encouraging people to drop out of society, you know? And it's, that's like, nowadays we think about that, like breaking away and not being part of the mainstream society. And I, I understand all that, but see that the, the thing that he was trying to get the, the boot, the baby boomers to drop out of, wasn't really that bad of a thing. So in, in my opinion, it was, it was subversion because it what worked for him wasn't going to work for everybody else. In other words, you take like a kid and he's a senior in high school or something like that. And he gets into the hippie shit and, you know, 66 or 67 or something like summer of love, you know, and then he's like being told, Oh yeah, man, you just travel around in a Volkswagen, you drop acid and smoke grass and, and you get to fuck broads and it's, it's all great, man. You know, you don't need to be Johnny lunch bucket. You don't need to pay taxes. You don't need the house. You don't need all that stuff. And then they're it's like, like hey, anti-American man. dream kind of. Thing. Oh, totally. It's totally yeah. commie. It's total Frankfurt school, Mar- social Marxism. Mm-hmm. And then they're, they're sold this utopia. They're sold this like ideal, like, oh yeah, man, I'll just, you know, live off the land and blah, 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 blah. And it's they don't realize how hard that actually is. Uh, freedom, you know? Yeah. But like they're driving around on the roads that taxpayers pay for, and they're like little freeloaders, you know, it's kind of yeah. like, uh, 
Like Bernie Sanders was a commie, you know, way back in the day when he was a young man. And he was the only one who ever got kicked out of that particular commune that he was living on because he would never do any work. Because this could go back to Charles Manton too, right? In his commune that he had. Yeah, kind of. I mean, in the heart of things, uh, Charlie was, uh, he wanted to be a rock star. And I talked about this a little bit with, um, with uh, Into the Apocalypse, you know, with On, uh, uh, on the spaghetti incident from Guns N' Roses, uh, the hidden track is Axel doing uh, a fucking Charles Manson song. Yeah, no, I'm mean, Beatles have covered his songs. Beach Boys covered his song. A lot of people cover his songs. Yeah, he was a good songwriter. I have a lot of his music that he did with just, you know, an acoustic guitar and stuff. But the thing about Charlie and his commune out there at Spawn Ranch and all that kind of stuff. And then they went even further out after the murders is that's not what he even wanted to do. He just wanted to be a musician originally. He was but, coerced into doing that, though, wasn't he? You know, I mean, like I said, I told I told the story because, you know, I, I, I know a lot about Charlie. Like I, I told the story on. I love uh, how you call him Charlie. That's funny. Yeah, he's he's Uncle Charlie. He's Uncle Charlie. He's Uncle Charlie. I mean, I grew up, you know, anyway, that's a whole other story. But the point is, is that, um, you know, he was uh, he was over there trying to get a deal with the Beach Boys, trying to get signed. And the Beach Boys were really like, especially... Um, Brian Wilson, or yeah, Brian Wilson was really rooting for him and getting him interviews. And he was really trying. I mean, he was, he was given it like a totally, like he should have been a, in an ideal world, Charlie Manson would have got signed and those murders never would have happened and all that stuff. But I'll tell you why those murders happened because those broads, they knew about what was going on with Roman Polanski and they came to Charlie and they said, oh, you know, he's making these dirty movies, picking up girls at the bus station and, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then, they said, uh, we're going to go kill him. We're going to go kill him, Charlie. Like it was going to impress him. And he said, yeah, man, I'm over here. Trying, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get signed, babe. You know, blah, 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 blah. and then, so they kept on talking about it. And then he said, fine, go do it then. You know, stop talking about it and go do it. Yeah. Yeah. Make it witchy, whatever. And they like, went and did off. it. Yeah. Like, like, like stop, you just do it or stop talking about it. He didn't think that they were actually going to do it. This now, is, when they, uh, what's her name? Sharon, Sharon Tate. And this is the, the, the Tate and LaBianca murders happened two days apart. It was on yeah. eight. It was on August eighth, uh, nineteen sixty-nine, and then the other one was uh, technically the ninth. So when he, he found out that they did all that stuff and they were talking about it on the news and all that stuff, it kind of went to his head, and he goes, "Well, maybe I do have the power helter skelter." And, and then he's like, "Well, this isn't working out with the music thing, so I'm going to go." And then that's what he did, and that's the way that Fuck. the guy. That's the way that it was explained because you got to throw all that stuff in Helter Skelter out the window that book, Helter Skelter written by uh, Bugliosi. He was the, he was the DA, you know? So I, I talked about this on the other podcast, so I don't want to take up too much time, but that, that's, that's cool. the story. That's the story with that is like, he, he originally just wanted to be a musician. He wanted to be famous. He wanted to be rich. He was friends with Neil Young. He was friend. All those guys were all in Benedict Canyon and, and Laurel Canyon that whole area, Neil Young used to hang out with Charlie Manson. He remembers him. Yep. He liked him. They got along. Everything was fine. Those squeaky Ramirez and, and, and uh, uh, what's the other one? Uh, the, the, the one that's still uh, locked up. Uh, is it uh, Van Houten? You know, Van Houten and the other one, squeaky. They did the murders with Tex, yep. you know, Tex Watson. 
they ruined Charlie's life. Like Charlie got connected to that because they went, and then when they got up on, and you know, Charlie told us that then Charlie's our God, and and they all put X's on their, and they made Charlie look like a, you know, they made him look like a cult leader. That's and he awesome. goes, hey, and he's like, hey man, I didn't kill anybody. All right. Like, but see, the thing about Charlie was he got all fucked up at one of those um, CIA trap houses that they had at the uh, Haight Ashbury Free Clinic and all that kind of stuff before he went to LA. He was in San Francisco. And that's a whole thing with the music thing is like, okay, so you got in the 50s, you got doo-wop, doo-wop, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then you got the country music and it's pretty American. It's pretty wholesome. And, you know, all that stuff. where did this hippie shit come from? I mean, where did it really come from? It just kind of just appeared, right? Well, that was that was like um, that was uh, set up by the CIA, wasn't it? Like the whole hippie culture, the whole hippie movement. Kind of. Well, it, they they saw an opportunity, just like how we right. see, like like the, Sam Tripoli always says, like culture is manufactured, right? Uh, for the most part, yeah. So, but yeah. what happened? What happened was is that hippies, what we call hippies, you know, nomadic kind of people. Uh, they were taking trips over to India, like for fun, because it was so cheap. You know, you could get a ticket over there really cheap and food was cheap. And, you know, it was so these um, they're kind of like not the beatniks, but like the kind of guys who were like a little bit more wild than the beatniks. And they were getting into that alternative living and natural foods and all that kind of stuff, which isn't really a bad thing. They went over there. And they're like, wow, these guys are really rocking out on the sitar and the, and the tablas how could we incorporate this into like rock and roll? So the Beatles. I was going to say, here's where the Beatles come in. The Beatles, you know, they take, <laughs> they take all the credit for, you know, getting all psychedelic and stuff on the Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart, uh, Hearts Club album. Yep. And then the Rolling Stones, you know, they, they started getting psychedelic, you know, with the, uh, with the, some of their albums and some of their songs, especially that one album at, at her majesty's satanic request or whatever it's called. Um, and, no, the, the truth is, is that the Maharishi and that whole thing, when the Beatles went over, there was already psychedelic music. Psychedelic music did not come from the Beatles. It did not come from the Rolling Stones. It came from underground uh, bands who had traveled or had known people who traveled to the East. And they said, hey, what if we take sitars? And what if we take this and we take that and we put it together? And it's like, it's really trippy, man. And it is. And some of that stuff, it's it's really cool. And then we get into, uh, is Matt still with us or did he drop off? No, he's here. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then we get he's into. Just, he's a passenger. Just yeah. Like he said. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we get into Krautrock, you know, and Krautrock started in the 60s and early 70s too. And, you know, Krautrock is, is German rock. Yeah. German, yeah. Hey, before yeah, we so, go there, <clears throat> Scary, I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you about something in the 60s because I've heard a lot of these bands that were propped up, these guys couldn't even play music, you know? Um, oh, like, yeah, yeah. They talk about Crosby, Stills, and Nash being one of them. They talk about Jim Morrison, you know, having almost no interest in music until he was basically... He was more of a poet than a singer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he was like a writer. But, you know, they, they portray him as the this guitar player and all sorts of stuff, but... I was wondering, you know, what you knew about that, because I always found that fascinating that, you know, they basically propped up a lot of these bands as a front, you know, for not only money laundering, but 
drug pushing. Well, you you remember when uh we have to go. We kind of have to go forward before we can go back. You remember Millie Vanilli? Yep. Yep. You remember when they got busted when the tape kept repeating on stage? Yeah. Yeah, at a live show. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They weren't. The, they weren't the first ones to do that. You know what I'm saying? It's not like they were the oh, very no. first people to. They were to the lip first sync. ones okay. to get called out for it. One of them fucking killed himself because of all that uh, shit. Yeah. Well, it took a while, but I think it caught up. He was pretty depressed about. I think yeah. Okay, so you guys know what a PA is, right? Uh, the the big speakers that they have at concerts. Yep. Okay, well, that's where all the music comes from. It doesn't come from the amplifiers. Right. Okay. Now there's pictures where you can see a big Marshall stacks, you know, big Marshall amplifiers, you know, like six high, you know, like 20 feet, like these monoliths of sound. There's nothing in them. There's pictures from the from behind, and it's just plywood. There's right. no actual, it's just for show. It's like it would look weird if they weren't there, if it was just a PA, right? So when you have like these rock guys, you know, playing and shredding on the guitar, well, who really knows how good Jimi Hendrix was? I think people say he was a pretty good guitar player. Yeah, you, he might have been one of the ones who actually knew how to play. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But in the 60s and the 70s and even the 80s and all that stuff, but especially if you could get it down in the studio, who knows who really did it? You have session musicians, people they bring in to play Absolutely. the music, yep. you know, and that's still going on. It's not a big deal or anything. A lot of people make a good living off of it. They're just the kinds of people who don't want to be, you know, no. So going back to, you know, uh, what Matt brought up about, you know, could these people sing? Could these people play? I don't know. We may never know because the thing is, is, you know, all the master, you know, all that stuff. It's like these people, a lot of these people are dead. But it's funny that you brought up uh, uh, Crosby because I remember there was a guy who worked for a, a music agency. And I forget his name right now, but you can look it up. It's a, there's a famous audio recording of him talking about it. And he said he was talking to Crosby. And this was like in the 80s or something. So the guy had been out of the scene for a while because he was more in the scene in the 60s. So he was talking to Crosby and he said, he said hey, um, what's going on in the music world? Is it the same thing? Are we doing the same thing? And what he meant by that was, you know, manipulating people and, and performing mass rituals at concerts. And you say, Oh yeah, you know, yeah, we still do that. We still, he goes, Hey, do they still take the master recordings to the, you know, this is at a uh, A&M recordings. Do they still take the master and do the satanic ritual over the master tape? And then, so that when they copy the tape, it's like they, 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 that they think that that energy, that spell, that incantation is like transferred into the master recording. And then when they make the duplicates, like when they make the LPs and the tapes and the eight tracks and nowadays, I guess the, you know, the, the files that it would be like, now I don't believe in this stuff, you know, it has having power, but I believe that there are people who believe that these things have power. So then Crosby says, yeah, we still do it. And then there was these pictures that surfaced in the eighties during the whole satanic panic thing. And it was these people wearing robes standing over a record and they were doing the spell as they were, making the duplicates and it was upstairs, you know, and then this is the kind of lore. This is the kind of hearsay. These are the kind of rumors that continue that. And so I was just, that's just a side note about the Crosby thing. Cause you, cause Matt mentioned Crosby. So I don't know what his involvement is, but what I can tell you is in my personal opinion, being a musician and knowing a lot about how music is marketed and how people make money is it's it's dying 
the whole thing's dying because because real talented people nowadays they real I don't need a record contract. They take so much. Well, they, and, and the, that's the managers. What, that's what guys like Tom McDonald and, and Ryan Upchurch and Adam Calhoun are showing. These guys mm-hmm. are, are, are big musicians nowadays, you know, we, all independent. You know, they, they laugh at the record labels because they realize the game that it is and how, you know, you, you, you're just being taken advantage of. There's no reason mm-hmm. why they want you unless they can make money off you and use you. So, uh, I, yeah. I, I, and that's all I support now. Like, I don't, I don't buy anybody's music really that's tied to a label anymore. Uh, you know, I, I really only buy, uh, independent music. Yeah. And, you know, and since I don't have my uh, rooster shots, you know, or any shots, uh, I've accepted the fact that I'm never going to go to a concert again, the way that this thing's playing out. Unless they re- here. Yeah. You know what? I've, I've been to, you know what? That's such a kick in the nuts though. You know, cause I have an eight year old and I, I was thinking that same thing the other night. And I'm like, man, I'm like, until this madness settles, I'm never going to be able to take him to a show. I'm never going to be able to mm-hmm. take him to a sporting event you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, it's, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, well, you know what? It's not worth it. It's really not. And, well, and it's it, all part of the B system anyway. Right. Exactly. And it's like, it's like, what are you <clears throat> really missing? You know, you're missing the experience itself. Granted is, is something that you can't really explain. But aside from that, you're just overpaying for everything else from the parking. To well, the they're, they're not even the, they're not even the same events that we went to in the 90s and the 2000s. And obviously you guys in the 80s and stuff. I didn't I didn't go to a concert until I was like my first concert was this band called Ween. You guys know Ween? I love Pennsylvania. White that was my fr- yeah, that was my that was my first real concert. And that was in like 98. So I was uh, like 16 or 15, 16. It was like 15 or something. And uh, it was at the Warfield in San Francisco on Market Street. And it was like a pretty big venue. It wasn't like a huge venue. I've never, you know, uh, been like a real, like I've, I've only been to a couple arena shows. Like I saw Depeche Mode. They played in an arena. And I saw Nine Inch Nails in 99. They played Cow Palace which is kind of like an arena in San Francisco, but not a huge one. I've never been to like, you know, those really, really big shows, like those right. huge, like where they have to, where they, where they play basketball or, you know, like those, those big You see ones. like a sea of people yeah. when they project from, when they record from the stage to the crowd. I went to, I went endless to, people. Yeah. I went to summer sanitarium tour uh, back in the 90s or early 2000s. And man, mm-hmm. that was, you know, you're talking, you know 80,000 people yeah I don't I don't you know I mean I could do it but I'm, I'm not attracted to big crowds and shit it's like I know how that shit works it's like you know uh ten dollars for a hot dog and you know eight yeah. bucks twelve bucks for a beer you know I I, know. I, I I love the uh smaller venues like there's one up here in Toronto called uh the Opera House and I've been there like eight nine ten times or whatever for pre- different bands but it's great because like the stage is only like maybe like four feet high and mm-hmm. you can get like right up close and personal with the band and the band doesn't give a shit because they know they're not, yeah. you're not going to, you know, they're there to worship you. You're not going to attack them and shit. Right. So no, as soon as this thing started back in 2020, I told, I told myself, I'm not going to support any artists who perform at venues where you have to be um, inoculated. 
and oh I'm, yeah I'm, for sure and i've seen thousands of shows you know big and small and like i said you know i was in some bands and i was hanging around bands and all that kind of i've done it i've been there it, it's just all like i know bands that still play bar shows or they're, they're trying to hang on and do and i just i'm like it's the same thing guys you know it's just it's a joke you guys are playing for drinks you know and a portion of of, of that you know it's like you can't make a living you know it's just it's kind it's just getting kind of sad now and uh but they're talk- doing what they want to do at least right like i mean i had uh on my a uh, couple episodes ago on my show i had uh cheney crab on she's a the front woman for a death metal band Prague death metal band called entheos <clears throat> and and i asked her like how is your band doing like you know and she's like well what do you mean like there's so many things that can mean i'm like like financially or you know like uh infighting within the band or whatever and she's like oh we're we're not in debt you know i Mm -hmm. said well that's good you're doing what you want to do passionately uh you know that's your passion and you're doing what you got to do and you're still getting by right she's like exactly like if that's what we want to do and you know we're still doing it you know so yeah but but they all gotta they all gotta be uh you know they gotta be you know juiced up to get get into the venues yeah and that's another question that i asked her and before she got on the show i said is there anything that we shouldn't discuss uh because i know it might affect your career and whatnot right Mm -hmm. she's like no i'm pretty much an open book so then i asked her like what are your thoughts on like having to be vaccinated to play a show or uh have people come in and they have to be vaccinated to watch you guys perform she said she didn't give me she gave me a roundabout answer basically like i just want to play Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's i don't know exactly i don't know exactly her stance on it but uh i was trying to get it out of her you know but see that's the difference between an artist and a performer see like i have a lot of i have a lot of irons in the fire like i have side things that have nothing to do with with old scary world or with tartar you know any of the stuff that we talk about and i make money off of it you know and i don't have to go anywhere i don't have to do anything it's all online Right. And I, pref- I prefer it. I, like I said, I've been in bands. It's a nightmare. It's a headache. I don't really care about being up on stage, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, um, you know, there's this uh, guy, you guys have probably heard of him. His name's Beck. He's like a, he's like a, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And one of his early, early albums, there's a song. Uh, it's the one with the, with the popular song with loser, loser. but there's a B side called uh, pay no mind. And there's a line in that song where he says, give the finger to the rock and roll singer as he dances upon your paycheck. Huh. You know what I mean? And it's like, I'm, I, I listen to music. I don't really like care about like standing there and like worshiping them anymore. Like it's fun and it was fun. And it's, but I'm like, I'm okay with it. So what I'm saying is if you're an artist, if there's any recording artists, if there's any true musicians listening, don't worry about playing shows worry about selling your music so that people can listen to it on their own time and their own accord. The show thing to me is it's like they, they've ruined it with the social distancing, with the masks, with all these rules, with this whole thing, you got to pay for parking and then you got to pay for overpriced drinks or overpriced. Food. Yeah, it's, just, dude. it's just, it's like people are <clears throat> kind of tired. It's like, 
And then you come back and your car's broken into because you had to park in a parking lot or a parking garage. Yeah. And then, or you, you, you got there late and the guy's like, oh, you can't get your car till tomorrow morning. And then you got to get an Uber home and you got to worry about your car. It's just, it's like, if you like music, just listen to it at home. You know what I well, mean? And, and especially, in today, especially in today's era, you can, you, you can watch most of the live performances on YouTube, you know, or, mm-hmm. or yep. some one of the video platforms so what's the you know i'm with you and and aside from the experience as a young child who's never done it before once you've done it it, it, who cares you know once you're our age who gives a shit anymore i'll i I, I people are very addicted to going to shows though well and that's and and i I feel like that's a spell you know i i Mm, feel like that's a that's a definite spell that they put on you man there's people that get get sucked in to the music you know literally like it it, it overtakes them and well there's a lot of yeah and there's a lot of degenerates there too oh yeah, oh, yeah and, dude and and see that's my issue with the concerts is more i'm not good in big crowds like i can do it once in a while but man it's overload to my senses when when i'm in a crowd like that like it just it, it doesn't like it. sit well i can't enjoy <laughs> the performance as much because there's too much going on yeah yeah, I mean, I um, thought about, you know, I have a daughter and, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste my time trying to, you know, get her to appreciate all the class. I, that's like, it's when, by the time that she's old enough to appreciate all that stuff, that stuff's going to be so old. Like I really, I just plan on taking her to classical recitals and, and things like that, things like churches, you know, like I, I, I don't really want to drag her to those kinds of places and say, Oh, you have to listen to this guy. Cause daddy liked him when he was a teenager, right. you know, like I intend you to can do all that at home now. Yeah. But the thing is, is like, why do I even like, she's like pure, like she's like innocent. She doesn't even know all this stuff is supposed to be like, like you're, you're not normal unless you know all this stuff, you know, it's right. like, it's just let it die to, to me. It's like, <clears throat> if we're going to, if we're going to talk about how it's all corrupted, you know, and it's like, that's, that's the thing is like, we give a pass to people that we like. And I understand that. But as I gotten older, I've gotten really discerning with like things. And I'm like, okay, well, that guy, uh, turns out he wasn't who I thought he was. And, you know, that's the way that goes. And, you know, we see that a lot with, um, with the SJW people as they are like trying to cancel. All these people. I'm not trying to cancel anybody. They got away with it. You know, Led Zeppelin got to, you know, stick a fish up who knows where the sun doesn't shine in uh, Seattle that time. There's that whole mudfish story, you know, and I uh, don't know about that, but I'm very curious. Yeah, yeah. Look, look at, look at, look <laughs> at, never look, heard uh, that. No, dude, they yeah, shoved it up look, some girl. A mudfish. Yes. Look up what a mudfish is. Okay. Yes. So there's that whole thing. And, you know, uh, what was it? The guy from uh, the guy from the who was it? Uh, Peter Townsend was like, you know, he was into little girls or something. He got away with every, oh, that was, got- uh, that was John Entwistle, the bassist who passed away. Oh, OK. I so remember we- that story. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. And he so was saying, all- oh, it's for a research project. Yeah. OK. <laughs> there's all there's all that kind of stuff. And, you know, but see, the thing about groupies the thing about groupies in the sixties and seventies. Yeah. A lot of those girls were like 14, 15, 16 years old, but they had fake IDs and they were smoking grass and they were drinking boot and you know, the bouncers and the tour managers and the people, they didn't know any, and it was like, Hey, you know, 
within the within the because you have to look at everything within context what they were doing wasn't that bad for the time so i don't i I don't agree with people trying to cancel these people and ruin their careers at the end of their career it's like everybody was doing it they weren't the only ones a lot of the parents knew what their kids were doing it it was just it was just that's just the way that it was and people it's permissive it's like well it's like scary it's like it's like parenting right when we were yeah. growing up, it was okay to be a latchkey kid, right? Mm-hmm. It, it was it was acceptable. It's just the way it was. Mm-hmm. Now, if you were to do that, DCF would be at your house so fast to you know take away your children. It's not even funny. So I, I agree completely. You have to take some of this stuff with the times. Now, does that make it right? No, but at the same time, you can't put in the per same look at it through the same lens that you would look through it today absolutely yeah and it's, it's, uh like gene simmons had a story i don't know if you guys heard this one but uh like i i was raised on kiss like out of the womb i was listening to kiss records right but uh then i hear stories like gene simmons was like yeah i was fucking this girl and then she's like she's riding me and she's like do you mind if my mom's like he's in the hotel room right She's like, my mom's outside the door. Like, do you mind if she comes in and, like, fucks you too? She's like, uh, yeah, okay, let's go. It's like, holy fuck, dude. Like, you're going to fuck a mother and a daughter? Like, that's crazy, dude. You know? But it's why a lot of it's why a lot of those guys get into it. That's actually, like, what True. the prize the prize was, was like, oh, am I get to have a lot of sex? It's like uh, Uncle Ted, you know? And Uncle Ted, Uncle Ted gets a bad rap. Like, he's like, you bring up Ted Nugent and any kind of, like, you know, social media, it's like automatically all these people come out of the woodwork and just start attacking him because of his political sure, views. Yeah. Okay. Well, Ted Nugent, the thing with, okay. So he was in the Amboy Dukes. Like that was his first big band. He had been in a band since he was a teenager and the Amboy Dukes, they had that song journey to the center of the mind, you know, or some shit like that. It was like a pretty big song. Well, he being naive, he thought it was about like meditation or prayer or inside like introspection. And then they told him, no, man, it's about drugs. It's about psychedelics. The journey to the center of the mind is like when you take a- when you take acid or mushrooms. Oh. And then he goes, oh, I don't, li- I don't like that kind of stuff. I don't do that stuff. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. He was like already like based and conservative back then. But he right. really liked playing the guitar. He really yeah. liked blues and, you know, whatever. So he said, look, he, he was just straight up. He said, my vice is sex. So, you know, the, uh, the, the Motor City Madman or whatever they called him back in the 70s, right? That was his thing. He didn't drink. He didn't do drugs. He just, he liked to have sex with, with women, you know? And it's like, well, they were all doing that. At least he wasn't doing the drugs and drinking, the, you know, and he kept it to basically just normal heterosexual sex, right? you know? Now, what do we see? when we look at people from the seventies, it's like, sometimes it baffles me why it took so long to get to this point, why the the slippery slope or whatever you want to call it with the degeneracy, because you already had David Bowie was having sex with uh, the guy from the Rolling Stones. Uh, Was it Keith Richards or was it the other guy? uh, What's what's the two big guys in the Rolling Stones, Keith Richards and uh, blanking on the other guy, Mick Jagger. Jagger. Mick Jagger, yeah. Mick Jagger, and David Bowie were were partners, and oh, so I, were, I had no idea about that. Fuck. 
Yeah, I mean, all of those guys were doing bisexual stuff in the 60s and 70s. You know, uh, John Lennon was by like that whole thing started. And it's like they wanted it to kick off. It's like they were actually trying to kick off what was going on now. I'm talking about the, you know, the Frankfurt School, because this is all it's not about acceptance. It's not about tolerance, which isn't really a good word when you think about it. It's about how do you corrupt the nuclear family? Because the nuclear family especially, and this is coming from my, I don't want to preach too much, but this is coming from my perspective of being, you know, trying to be a traditional uh, adherer to Western civilization is you have the family is first, right? Some people say God, then family, but you, you know, you can put them in equal tiers if you want. Well, that's what keeps the state at bay. In other words, when you remove the sanctity of the family, then the state can come in and replace that. So how do you, how do you manipulate the youth? And I look back at all the stuff that I did when I was a teenager, there was always music playing in the background. Like when I started smoking weed, same shit for me, man. Yeah. It's your when soundtrack. I started, when I started smoking weed, it was when tool was getting really popular, like in 94, 95. Cause I was born in 83. So, you know, I, I smoked dope for the first time when I was like 11 or something like that. It was like tool, and uh and they're and everybody's talking about how they were they're so trippy and they're all into into drugs and all this stuff and um you know a lot of the grunge stuff had already kind of but there was a few people that were still kind of into the to some of the grunge stuff and uh you know it's just like was that like i said on the other podcast i said was that the crack that let the water in like looking back at it go it was the music that was like the that was like the central uh, field of energy it was drawing all my friends to you. like what bands do you listen to that was like an icebreaker well, yeah, yeah definitely yeah. and i i feel i feel that too i feel like music has a a a, a power to it right because i can hear a song that i haven't heard in 30 years and it will put me in a certain place or have a certain evoke a certain memory or whatever it Dude, is I, I often say music is like time travel man yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll go and it's vivid, you know, it's, it's not like it's this yeah. fuzzy vision. It is a vivid picture memory that comes right to the forefront. As soon as that song plays. Every time I listen to certain music, like for example, uh, angel dust by faith, no more, which is m- one of my favorite bands of all time, if not the mm-hmm. favorite band. But um, whenever I listen to any track on angel dust, I remember sitting in my buddy's basement in his room in the dark uh he was passed out and i was listening to that album and i fell in love with it and i still remember that very vividly well it's like yeah i'm with you on faith no more dude that epic video at the end where the fish is flopping around the and they're playing the piano yeah. for the rest of my life i'll be in middle middle school when that happens like I, I i remember being in my classroom when i heard it for the first time on my buddy gave me his walkman and i'm listening to that and then he, he played the video that when we got home, we went and watched MTV and, you know, obviously it was in the top 10 or whatever. And we used to VHS record it and then rewind and watch it again and all this shit. But mm-hmm. I, I, that, that video, especially, and I didn't really listen to faith no more a whole lot, but that one part of that, and I remember the whole video, but that one part of the video will always, as soon as I hear that piano kick in at the end, I see the fish flopping. Yep. And then uh, ding, I go ding, back to middle ding, school. Ding. It's wild. Oh my god! 
Well, that's the thing that's about crazy. music. The music, the, the music is like okay. So that's the that's the really kind of perfect thing about music is it's this um, it's this ideal delivery system or it's this ideal capsule to you know you can listen to a song and cry and be, and be like uh, nostalgic or you could like you know there's a lot of instrumental music that's that's very you know melancholy you know like don't they don't even have to say anything you know it's just the the tone or the the, the melody and then you can also use it to 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 subvert people like i remember like when uh the whole thing was going on with orange man and you know orange man bad and all that kind of stuff there was a song <laughs> there was a song where it was just uh it was just fuck donald trump over and over and over again i don't know if you guys ever heard that like blasting out of a car at a protest well, i haven't or, you know, no on a youtube video you know where people were covering a protest but all it was was it was just fuck donald trump do you Scary. Yo, do you, fuck do you Donald think Trump. that's based on the frequencies that they're using or or there's some sort of beat that's being yeah, used I, to put you in a trance I, I, almost? I, I've heard a lot about the frequency thing, and I'm going to be totally honest. I haven't looked into it too much. I know that there's people who think that certain frequencies, are, you know, but here's the thing about that is to actually like frequencies have power. Definitely. Like we've done experiments with that and frequencies do have an effect. Different frequencies manipulate physical objects and different geometrical formations and all that kind of stuff. And there's frequencies that can like make a plant grow better. And there's ones that'll make the plant die. But the thing about music is, is what are you listening to it on? Are you listening to it on your phone or are you listening to it on a hundred thousand dollar, you know, sound system? Now, if you're listening to music on a hundred thousand dollar sound system, then there's a possibility that the frequency, you know, modulation or differences, but if you're listening to it, it's probably not going to really make too much of a difference. You know, especially if you're listening to it, you know, with some old tinny headphones or something like that, the, the frequency vibration, it's like, you have to have power behind it. You know, you could take a, a, a monotone, you know, at, at 430 Hertz and go, boom you know, with a big speaker, it's going to, it's going to move stuff off the, the table. Things it's are going to move. The same, it's still the same frequency that's, that it's recorded at though. Right. Right. But if you're, but if you're, if your output, like your speakers, your headphones are weak and they have no amperage, they have no power. They don't have a, um, what the hell you call it? Um, yeah. But the iPhones uh, today are better than a lot of speaker systems from like the nineties. They're, they're pretty good, but they just, they don't have the power. In other Correct. words, they don't have, yeah. like you could play that same bass note on an iPhone. It's not going to, it's not going to move a bottle off your table. Right. It's not yeah. going to create enough vibration. It's like amperage versus voltage versus ohms, you know, and it's like you have Unless to you have, connect it to a good system. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you have it playing out of some really big speakers, then that sound is, it's just, it's, it's more power. Like I've been to, you know, that band, uh, it's a metal band. They're called Sun with two N's, and yes. they play. They play like really slow doom metal. Yep, I, I've seen them a couple times, and uh, actually three times technically. And every time that I've seen them, uh, except for once, and this is kind of my point. I saw them two times at like a big venue, and one time at a really small venue. Now the two times I saw them at a big venue. My rib cage was like, brr, it was like shaking. Oh, you know, I love that you know, feeling. I, fe I felt it. <laughs> But when they played the smaller venue, I didn't get that because the smaller venue didn't have the same PA. They didn't have that power there. So right. that's kind of my point is it's like the frequencies 
that goes into like two different things. We can talk about physical and we can talk about metaphysical. Now on a metaphysical level, the frequencies would have, would have bearing, they would have, uh, you know, significance because it's metaphysical. So we can just say, well, it doesn't matter what you think it's, we're talking about metaphysics. So it just, it matters what we believe. Now, if we're talking about on a physical level, the frequency would only have an effect if it had the power behind it. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's, but that's my, that's my take on it. And the other take I have on it is now in the old days when they were cutting albums on vinyl and everything was controlled, you know, more or less by the, you know, the system or whatever, if they changed the intonation from whatever the good one was, I don't know, 430 uh, Hertz was the good one. And then 432 was the bad one, whatever. They might've been able to do that, but nowadays people are putting stuff out from home. Now, are they manipulating the frequency, especially with like electronic music? I don't so think we, so. Yeah. You know, so that's my whole thing with that. But some people think it's this big conspiracy and that the music, you know, harms you unless it's like at the certain frequency uh, on the master recording. I, I don't really know too much about that, but what I do know is uh, we got about a half an hour left and I can already tell that we need to do a part two. Oh yeah. Because oh yeah. This is just it's just so deep. And then I mean, Matt, this is where you come in, dude, with the whole cathedral thing. Like what was the the cathedrals what what frequency was that playing, you know? Well, yeah, and that that was dependent on a the instrument being used. Colors, right? Right? So you had the organs and they were tuned at a certain frequency and then you would have the structure of the building itself which depending on the structure of the building itself and or uh, the colors really, of the windows, what they say was, yeah, the rose, what they had now was rose glass windows, right? Prior to this, those, there wouldn't have been glass there because glass is going to kill the flow of the energy through that, that pattern. So what it would have been was that pattern without the glass. And that pattern is a cymatic shape a uh, sacred geometric shape that has a cymatic frequency attached to it which so affects depending, the sound that uh, is being played by the organ yes so depending on the fre- wild, what's man. given off by the organ then it would radiate that uh frequency and 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 some say it could ra- radiate it out throughout the town right it wasn't only right. within the church but they there like was like a healing center yes. that projects it out So, yeah. So, and and what they said is you could, you know, one of the reasons why there were so many churches and there weren't, uh, you know, compared to people was each church would give off a different frequency. So in combination, they would lift uh, the, the, the locals, but you could go to specific churches or cathedrals and for specific healing properties, right? Because say they had one at 432, one at 528, and in different frequencies, uh, you could go have different healing properties. And and I'll tell you firsthand that I believe that because I, when I was in the throes of, of my arthritis, it would get so bad at night, I couldn't sleep. So I started listening to uh, different frequency music uh, at night. And, uh, and notice gradually over time that it did make a tremendous difference and that it did lessen pain without change, you know, cause what I did, did with it, it was kind of, uh, you know, I would change one thing at a time so I could tell whether that thing was working or not. And at that time, 
you know, the, the frequency music. And I, I still do it, you know, when I, uh, when I do my daily stretching, I always put on some sort of frequency bass tune, some healing type music on in the background. How much, uh, sorry to cut you off, but how much do you think is, uh, of that is uh, like a placebo effect? None, because in all honesty, <laughs> I, I thought it was bullshit. You know, I just did it because it was a recommendation of one of my friends it was like, hey, man, I've looked into this healing stuff and I know, but I know from, from other healing things that I've done, you know, in my, in my sports career and things like that in my past life, that there are certain stimulations, certain frequencies that do have healing properties, you know, because there are, okay. there are things that are used, you know, different stimulation uh, machines and things like that, that they'll put on you and use different tones and and work out kinks in your muscles and your in your uh you know joints and tendons and well this stuff. could this could go to like the whole med bed thing right yes and that's yeah. what, essentially what these these structures tended to be like were a giant med bed right i mean these things <laughs> right. would supposedly you know and, and and i don't know about you all but i've walked into some large cathedrals and you, there's just a feeling that you get in your body when you walk into that place. And it's not like a, yeah, you know, they say it's a religious experience, but I think it's more of a, a, a frequency, frequency related experience. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I'm, I, I definitely think that music has, um, I think it has the ability to heal. And, and I think that that's um, true also to the, to the mind because we think about what makes us a song like why why is like certain notes or certain scales considered a happy scale and then other ones are considered sad you know and that's yep. and that's really interesting because it's like they're just it's just sound but why does it make us cry yeah you know it's because it has this it's like a color like we look at like neon pink right and we and it's like it's bright and it's colorful and it's and you know it's feminine and all that and then we look at something like hunter green you know, and then we think, oh, like, well, this is more masculine. This is more, uh, or we look at earth tones and we think of the desert. And we, you know, so when we listen to certain sounds, and that's kind of the, the magic of, of sound in itself. And, you know, we get into the whole, the art of sound and all that kind of stuff is why are certain notes when they're, when they're independent of each other, they don't necessarily sound sad. But yeah. when we combine them, with a series and we create a chord or we create a triad or we create a scale, then it's like, Oh, this is, this is, this is, um, somber or this is playful. Like we have like circus music or evil. Just, like when, uh, yeah. Tony Iommi came up with the, that fucking devil's chord or whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, he didn't come up with that. I mean, no, I know that. Yeah. 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 But that goes back to the, to the dark ages and that's the fifths. And, you know, like an example, like, is when you have, uh, when you have like, uh, what's it called, uh, dissonant tones, you know, and you see that a lot in black metal, you know, so um, you guys hear that? Yep. Yep. So classic black metal riff, just to show like the, the, the people, that, I mean, all the musicians are probably cringing right now, but the people that don't know here. So... see that that's it that's all that that's what that's a generic black metal riff now all i gotta do is go you 
see that? That's that octave there. That's what makes it sound evil. Oh, you hear that? Yeah. yeah. But the difference between this note and that's what supposedly, now I don't necessarily think this is true, but that's what supposedly the church band was. That's what they called the devil's note was that dissonant. Now, now why? Why out of all the, you know, and now because we associate that, you know, it's all about association. Like you watch a horror movie and they're playing that kind of, you know, you ever seen that instrument that they use to make that classic like thing? It looks like something you uh, dry your clothes on or something. It's like this big framed metal kind of bulbous shaped kind of thing. And then they take a, uh, like a violin bow and that's what gives you that. It's a pretty cool instrument, but that's what they would use in the old horror movies because it was cheap and it was easy. And it became this like staple of, and then until Carpenter came around and then they started doing the synth. I the horror bass. love Carpenter, dude. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a good musician. I mean, he's a, he's an excellent filmmaker. I mean, that's he all he's just, doing now. Yeah. He's fucking going on the stage with his son, Cody. Yeah. He could have just, he, he could have just made they live and then call it a day and he would have been okay in my book, but he's made a lot of films. Um, but yeah, a lot of people don't know that he's also a musician, but yeah. And he, he tapped he it into something for all of his movies. Right. You know, and Halloween three is my favorite Halloween. The one that doesn't have uh, Michael Myers. I love it. Because of the soundtrack, the soundtrack for Halloween three is really good, you know, and the soundtrack for they live and, you know, all of his movies have good soundtracks. My, but, my, uh, my intro theme for my show is based on they live. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yeah. and, and so what do you guys think it is? I've always wondered this as to why people's tastes in music differ so greatly. Like, what is it that draws certain people to certain music? Now, uh, that's a good, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think it's environmental. I think it's a, has a lot to do with your extracurricular activities. Like, you know, you're expected to like, you're expected to listen to bands that have like things in common with you, like that matters. Or other, or other people. Yeah, like your group. Whereas your me, group. I grew up with three older brothers and a sister, whereas most people didn't. And mm-hmm. I was always listening to rock and metal from the time I went to fucking uh, elementary school and I was reading Metal Edge in the playground. And, and, mm-hmm. and I was like, what are you guys listening to with this fucking Michael Jackson shit, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like listening to Kiss and like Scorpions and all these rock bands. And I couldn't understand why all these other kids were listening to like all this pop music. See, I grew yeah, up I mean, in like I grew up on like my parents' music for the most part, mm-hmm. like a lot of eight yeah, tracks too. and things like that back in the day. And it wasn't until probably the late, I would say early nineties, late like eighty nine or ninety, when I finally started getting into my own music, you know, and I started getting into little Guns and Roses and you know all sorts of different stuff, but. Yeah, I grew up a lot on my parents' music just because that was the only thing around the house. So I would be on road trips. I remember, you know, and that's what you say. Like there's certain um, Eagles songs or uh, Fleetwood Mac songs that come on. And I'll remember an exact road trip we were taking with my parents when I was like six or seven years old, you know. And, and, And so I grew up on that stuff. But, you know, along the way, I've listened to a little bit of everything in between. 
you know, and you go through stages where you like different music, obviously, but I've always wondered that because I've gone through, you know, periods where I, you know, I'll like a, a lot of hip hop music and get really into it. And, and I did for a couple of years and then I, and then it changed and I went back to a more classical rock. And that's where I always seem to, to linger back in is, is the classical rock. You know, I'm more of a Zeppelin here. Floyd type, you know, give me, give me good 60s, 70s rock and, and I'm happy. But at the same time, I can, you know, I can respect rap, good <clears throat> rap, uh, you know, and especially some of the early stuff I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, 80s, you know, early 90s rap before it came, you know, public, you know, commercial, really. And then a lot of the truth rap, like that stuff is really good and has stood the test of time. I mean, I, I was listening to that. Like Immortal Technique and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like uh, Del- Deltron. Yep. Deltron 3030. And um, I have a funny story. Um, But when I was in like grade eight, I got really into Zeppelin and uh, I was like very uh, vocal about it. I'm like, dude, you got to listen to Zeppelin, blah, 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 whatever. Right. And then I had this uh, <clears throat> supply teacher who came in and took over for my main teacher for like the rest of the year. And I found out that he liked Zeppelin because I was very vocal about it. Right. And this guy was like a chain smoker. He would like go outside <laughs> on recess and be like smoking, smoking, smoking. Right. But then he uh, wrote in my yearbook, he said, Dave, you're awesome. Zeppelin forever. (laughs) I just thought it was fucking awesome. Like for a teacher to write that in your yearbook. Right. Yeah. I think that, you know, teachers, sometimes they see a little bit of themselves in a a student or they want to give them a little like encouragement, like, Hey, you're not a weirdo or, you know, whatever. But I mean, I grew up like like Matt was saying, I grew up uh, listening to my parents' music and pretty much all my mom and dad listened to was country western. Same uh, with my, my, my parents as well. Yeah, yeah. It's like out like what you call outlaw country now. You know, yeah. so I remember like, like uh, Waylon Jennings and shit yeah, like that. Yeah. I thought, and so I remember like uh, I was like five or six years old or something. My uncle had a, a Corvette Stingray, like a 72 or something like that. And we we're driving down the Pacific Coast. And he was letting me, uh, he was letting me use the stick shift. Like he was obviously operating the clutch, but I was, you know, he'd say, okay, now pull it this way. And we go into second gear, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we were listening to the highway man, you know, with, uh, Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. And who was the other highway man? Uh, there was, wasn't there four of them, right? It was Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. And, uh, was it Willie Nelson? And Willie Nelson. Yeah. Those were the yeah. highwaymen. Right. And mm-hmm. there was that song. I don't know if you remember the, the title song was, uh, uh, was highwayman. And, you know, for the eighties, it was like, it was pretty, it was pretty ahead of the time. They used electronic drums and there was like a reverb on it. And they were talking about reincarnation. That was like the oh. whole thing, thing about this. You should listen to that song. It's actually, it's actually pretty uh, existential, but yep, anyways, well. so that kind of stuff. And then Marty Robbins, you know, gunfighter ballads, um, all that kind of stuff. And then I started listening to my own kind of music because I was into skateboarding. So I'd watch skate, uh, skate videos uh, from the early 90s and the late 80s. And the thing about skateboard videos, it was really funny. It was like this like Wild West days of no copyright, you know, because the people that were watching skate videos in the early 90s were just other skateboarders. So they would use like 
all kinds of music for their skate montages, you know, kind of like a music video, but they weren't paying any royalties or it was just like, you got away with that kind of stuff. So that's how I got introduced to other kinds of music. And then also I was reading Thrasher, the skateboard magazine. I had a subscription to that since I was like seven years old. And uh, so they started talking about- I laugh uh, at seeing um, girls and boys wearing Thrasher shirts, t-shirts when they have no idea what it means. <laughs> oh yeah, cool. it's like a, it's like a, it's like a brand, you know. It's like wearing like mm. kids used to wear like Iron Crosses, and they didn't know like where the Iron Cross came from, or they have like a shit. Even back in the eighties and nineties, people were rocking Confederate flag patches, you know, because it wasn't like a big deal or anything but they didn't like know anything about the civil war or anything. So that's, a, that's kind of the way I look at it. Or like people nowadays, they wear like Nirvana t-shirts, you know, they, they have don't no know who, idea who they are. Not a they don't even know. They don't even know who like, uh, Kurt Cobin is. But anyways, so I remember like I was reading about uh Gigi Allen was like, they were talking oh about Gigi God. Allen and I was like eight years old. They're talking about, they had like an interview with Gigi Allen and Thrasher. And I see him, he's got that big, uh, snake tattoo on his head he's got all those buckshot fucking marks in his head or speed marks from doing math or whatever and then he came on the tv he was on like uh jenny jones or Sally jesse Raphael or something, something like that, that yeah. yeah yeah and i go and i show my dad i go because my dad he was you know he's kind of a weird dude i go hey hey check out this guy and then so my dad's like hey this guy's pretty cool like i like this guy you know because he liked what he was saying do you know that he would shit on stage and throw it? Into the oh yeah. No, I know. Yep. All, yeah. I know. All <laughs> yep. oh. I know all about Gigi, you know, and the thing about the thing about Gigi Allen, is I like, want to fuck myself. Well, I mean, what a fuck myself. Yeah. Well, what about, <laughs> what about the song? Uh, uh, I kill everything. I fuck. I fuck everything. I kill, you know, <laughs> I'm in fact, I'm infected with AIDS. I fuck every day. I kill every day. Faith no more you know? covered. I want to fuck myself. Look, yeah. yeah, I'm sure that's sure it's a good rendition. But here's the thing with Gigi, like he was a punk, right? And all these punk rockers, they liked him. Everything I remember people, everybody's like, Oh yeah, you gotta like Gigi. I mean, he's like, you know, you just you just say you like him, even if you haven't listened to his whole, you know, catalog. But the thing is, is that that dude would be canceled so fucking quick. It's not like it's probably a good thing that these SJW type people don't even know who he is because he died in '94. <laughs> yeah. You know, so he went off on the obscure. toilet <laughs> and he was never, yeah. And he was never he was never signed or anything. So uh, you know, the, 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 a lot of people don't know who he is. But the thing is, is that you know, he's got a song called uh, "Die When You Die." Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it's a really good one. It's probably one of my favorite ones. And he says, uh, well, I should, I, you know, what? I can't even. No, I can't. I can't even. I can't even recite it. But if you guys know what I'm talking about, that song. I mean, just that song alone would just you know, it's like if you got AIDS. You know, you got cancer, go fucking die. If you got AIDS, spread it around, take some lives. Die when you die, when you die, when you die. You know, and yeah. it's like, that's really offensive and everything to most people. But the way I get from it is like, live your life, live, you know, YOLO kind of. It's like, you know, you're going to die, just whatever. You Here's know, the like, original Drake. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, is that people lost sight of people lost sight of what a true like that guy, he never made it. He was, it was too far out there and everything, but people like the message, but he, what he did, his actions were just too extreme and it just, it just wasn't going to work, but everybody likes to say, Oh, I love free spirit. Well, you want to talk about a free spirited person. You want to talk about a dude that just did not give Give a flip about what people thought about him. 
But the and thing is, dude, he was like such like a like an extreme character on the stage. But I saw like him sign an autograph and shit, and he's like super friendly to his fans and shit. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, he was he was gonna kill himself on stage. That was like yeah. the original. Yeah, that was like for the, sure, yeah. And you know, that's I think the he way he gonna, wanted to go out and he wanted to bring that message out to the masses, but it didn't happen. Nope. And when he <laughs> died, when he died, he died from a heroin overdose, and people didn't even know he was dead, and they kept partying with him. They thought he was just passed out, and they didn't <laughs> even realize that he was dead until the morning. You know, and uh, well, that sounds that know, sounds like the Whitney Houston story where they knew she was dead up in the bathtub and had the Grammy party downstairs anyway. Mm. You know, that's some dark stuff yeah. right there. And then, yeah. and then, you know, with her and her daughter, her dying daughter, the too, same, way, same like, fucking way. And and the whole if you look into it, the whole bathtub ritual and the symbolism of the bathtub in, in the occult. It's like, man, it's just. It's a dark industry, we, you know. Are we it just really reading is. too much into that, though, or is it like really that's what it is? You know, what's that? I often wonder that. Are we reading too much into that shit, or is that just how it is? Like, you know, I mean, I Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington both died, you know, hanging on and the Anthony Bourdain, you know, yeah, or or, yeah, or the Red Tie Club, you know, all this shit. Like, it's it gets to a point where it's it's too you know the odds are too great for it to be coincidence you know it's especially people in on their people in their um kind of uh world you know like how could that be a coincidence you know well you get into that 27 club you know all the famous musicians that died when they were 27 including i guess one of the more recent uh, members would be amy winehouse Amy Winehouse was 27, Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain. This uh, is another thing we could get on to uh, in a part two about music is the 27 Club. That was yeah, one definitely. of the things on my list, right? Of, of, of if we ever ran into shit was like, yeah, the 27 Club and the whole idea of Laurel Canyon and mm-hmm. that, you know, and, and going into Woodstock, the original Woodstock and all that. I mean, there's so much there that you know, like you said, part two is a, a must. Uh, I think, yeah, I and think that's, that goes without saying, yeah. And I have yeah. someone else that wants to join us for part two, too, which would be great, too. They they love music, and they couldn't join us tonight, but I'll get them for the next one also. Yeah, I mean, there's so much I could have talked about, and, you know, we got another, about another 15 minutes, so we could probably still squeeze a few, you know, nuggets out. But the thing is, is that with music, is it's like it's a double-edged sword. And that's I think that's kind of where I was trying to go a few moments ago is like, it's great. Like, I don't want people to think that I don't like music. I love music. I make music. I listen to it. But as you go throughout time, you just, you get, you get tired of the same, the same stuff. And I just, that's how I've always been as I've just evolved. And I always like discovering bands and then showing people like, Hey, if you like that band, check yeah. out this band. No, you're a crate digger like me. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's just like, I really like taking normies, and saying, okay, like, okay, Normie, like, you got some okay taste, but if you like this guy who you've heard over and over that they play on the right, you know, that you grew up with, I think you'll really like this guy. I'm the same way, man. I'm the same way. And then they thank, and then they thank me. They go, you're, you're right. Like, this is like a better version of what I've been listening to. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's like the same feel, but it's different, but it's like, it's, it's, it's familiar, but it's good, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, 
you know, I just think that music as a whole, the music industry, um, it's, it's lost its balls, you know, and that's intentional. And I was talking about this a little bit on the ends of the apocalypse podcast. So I'll just touch on it for a second is, and, but how it pertains to music is they pushed aggressive music, especially in the eighties and the nineties. Well, I would say in the eighties, it peaked is they had like a soundtrack for the working man. They had a soundtrack for the tough guys and, you know, the more aggressive alpha type people. And now we don't need them anymore. So, and the music reflects that. Like, can you name one artist who's coming up, not somebody who's been established, not somebody who got famous in the eighties or the seventies, but somebody who's come up in the last 10 years, who's actually, you know, mainstream, not popular because of their controversy, but actually like a, an approved celebrity who's like a man's man. No, there's no, there's, there's none of them. You talked about this, uh, or uh, any, any sort of role model, right? A positive mm-hmm. role model. Oh my God. It's not full of shit. You know, like you get these people that are propped up like Garth Brooks and some of these people. But and, Yeah, but and, he's established. Yeah, exactly. He came, to, he came to be in the, and he got really popular in the early 1990s, you know? So it's like, yeah, he's old. He's all right. You know, there's, there's people that are like, like Willie Nelson, like he's all right. You no, know, but he's like 80 something years old. You know, he was writing songs in the 50s. I mean, I'm saying that the, the, what, what's going on with music right now is I don't really keep track. I don't really know. I, I know that pop and rap are the dominant and country. Country is way more popular than people realize. Like country music still oh, yeah. makes a lot of money in this well, country. And it, country is one of the, especially now today, is one of the fakest injury, industries. I mean, th- there's more propped up country artists than anyone out there. Sure, I mean, they're, sure. they're, they're as bad as pop is right now. There's this one dude that I work with. I, I love him to death. Uh, but he's he's all into hip hop and shit, and he always makes fun of me for being an old man and listening to rock and metal. He's like, nobody listens to their shit. You're a fucking idiot. I'm like, he's just fucking with me though, right? I'm like, fuck off, right? But he's like all the hip hop and all that shit. And there's this artist in from Toronto, which is where we are, uh, and his name is Casper. And this kid is making fucking music in jail, right? So you go to listen to Casper. I'm like. Why? So I can have a shitty, shitty role model like you do. <laughs> right. I'm like, dude, you're listening to a guy who's in jail. Like, is that really what you want to fucking have as a role model? You know what I mean? It's, it, it's just disgusting to me, man. It's, it's, it's insane. Well, it depends on what he's in there for, you know? Yeah. It doesn't fucking matter. You know, like he's the one, like, promoting his music in jail somehow he's getting it out there oh he's got he's got some connect i mean that could be a gimmick it's like um yeah for sure but it's it's all the same shit like mumble rap right oh yeah but they steal that's the thing about like rappers and especially with the gangster rap stuff is they actually like steal identities like i don't know if you remember rick ross oh Um, yeah yeah, okay, the, well, the Rick not, Ross that, that stole the uh, the original Rick Ross's yeah. identity. Yeah, and they didn't even look like the same person or anything because the fake Rick Ross was like, you know, he was like a big dude, and then the 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 real Rick Ross was like a skinny dude, and but they stole that whole guy's story. Right. Like the the drug did the whole the, and, that, the and that's freeway. what they do, right? It's that whole inversion thing that they do. They 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 flip everything upside down. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's it's all about like. Well, it's because like black people like stealing, right? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> it's because they take they take they take uh, simple things and make them complicated, and they take complicated things and they try to make them simple. And I, I talked about that a little bit, but uh, on the other podcast. But the point is, is that when it comes to music, it's like yeah, they flip everything upside down, just like they do everything else. And it, what it's what it does is it. it infuriates people like us because we see it happening and there's nothing yeah. that we can do about it and then we go around like chicken little saying that the sky is falling and people are like what are you talking about because they don't see it and it's like a, there's a there's a really good uh frederick nietzsche quote where he says those seen dancing or those dancing were seen as crazy by those who couldn't hear the music mm-hmm. okay so that's the thing is like when you appreciate other kind when you appreciate music for the music not for the culture not because it's popular not because you're part of some you know uh mass uh trance or you know uh hysteria or something like that it's like people are like why why are you listening to that like i don't like it blah 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 blah. and that was like one of the things growing up was like people used to get made fun of so much for the kinds of music they listen to like dude i did stupid how stupid is that like that's like the stupidest thing in the world that's like you know, oh, you like that kind of music. So I don't like you, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't like that. I, and that goes both ways. Like I, I don't judge people for what they listen to. I really yeah, don't for like sure. if somebody's into like the, the, the stupidest, mindless, vapid, you know, pop, you know, whatever garbage that they're pushing on kids, especially kids. Like, I, you know, there's this whole thing like, oh, it's a travesty. The kids don't know who, you know, these, these old fogey band. It's like, do you know about the forties music? Because we want to put it into relation. We want to, you know, put it in, you know, it's like, okay, so they got a bunch of boomers and a bunch of Gen X guys, you know, saying like, it's so sad. They don't know who uh, the Beatles are. And and Justin Bieber made more money than the Beatles. We'll adjust that for inflation, first of all, because the dollar has less buying power, but that's a whole other subject. You take it into and put it into perspective. It's like, well, how many of these guys know about big band and the swing era and who was popular you know, at the, at the flapper, shit. you know, yeah. Yeah. It's like, we, we can't expect kids that were born in 2010, shit, not even till fucking it's 2022. You can't expect kids that were born in, you know, 2012 or whatever. Yeah. You know, whatever. No, I mean, shit that they're in the, you know, that's almost 30 years. I'm saying like teenagers, like to be a teenager, you have to be born after nine 11. Now, how do you expect a kid who was born after 9-11 to, to know about music that was recorded in the 1960s? Right. You know, that's like, that's like I said, that's like trying to get somebody who's born in the 70s or the 80s to appreciate stuff that was recorded in the 30s or the 40s. It's funny because I have, it's funny you say that because I had a, a friend, and this, this kid's really cool, right? Like him and I get along really well at work. And I was in the lunchroom uh, the other day, like two days ago, and uh I saw they had on the TV in there, they had uh, Meatloaf passing away, right? Mm-hmm. And he comes up to me and he says, Hey, Dave, look, the singer's name was Meatloaf. And I'm like, You don't know Meatloaf, dude? <laughs> I said, Dude, no. when I was like 13, I saw him live at Maple Leaf Gardens. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, You don't know Meatloaf, man? Come on. Well, that's just, you know, that, but like I said, that's Funny. just the way it goes, you know? Like, exactly, uh, yeah. Well, and, and he made a big comeback in the 90s, right? Because yeah, he, that's, that one when song, I saw, that's when I saw him. Hey, yeah. And I know what that I know what that song's about. Everybody, you know, uh, the I, I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. 
I know what that. I know what that. I know what that was. Masking that, that. vaccines. No, no. <laughs> it's uh, you know, everybody's like, you know, it's kind of like the uh, "You're So Vain." You probably think this song is about you, and everybody was trying to figure out who who she was talking about, or yeah, the Atlantis, the Atlantis Morissette song. Um, you ought to know. That was yeah. that was Dave Coulier from Full House. Yes, uh, I do that. Yes, oddly enough. But the the meatloaf thing that I will do anything for love, but I won't do that. I know what that what that is. You guys want to know what that what he was talking with the uh, innuendo or whatever it was getting pegged. Yeah, <laughs> it was. <laughs> That's that was, what it was. A shot in the dark, dude. That was by oh, Udo. Was there somebody there? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Oh shit! But that's who that's is the, pegging that's... meatloaf. Like Jesus, yeah. man, what is this world coming to? I would love to have a meatloaf to peg right now, actually. <laughs> but the thing, should, the thing, what's that? Ahead. No, you go, go ahead. No, 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 it's okay. I'm good. No, I think I lost my train of thought now. I was just going to say we should probably wrap it up. Mm. Oh, shit. That's kind of what I was going to say, but I was saying, you know, we, we scratched the surface. A little bit we got kind of the kind of the uh bush league stuff out of the way i'm going to do a little bit of research for part two and try to dive a little bit deeper into the uh because i i wanted to talk more about the uh, satanic panic and oh uh, yeah that'd be cool yeah how that didn't really go far enough in my opinion. i'm always i'm always thinking about um d snyder and how he was he fought hard for uh uh you know um censorship like yeah censorship and here we are today. We're getting censored like all over the oh, fucking map. But that was a re- that was a red herring, in my opinion. Like that took all the con- like the censorship thing was actually a separate issue with the RCAP or whatever they're called. Like what I'm talking about is when <clears throat> people were putting out like they were basically like shit posting with Xerox machines because they didn't have social media. Yeah. And these ch- these church groups and stuff they they were onto something. Like they were trying to bring down this whole you know, satanic ritual abuse and the things with the kids and what was going on with the pedophilia. And they were tying it to the music because that was a linchpin. Now right. I don't, I don't blame the artist. Like I don't blame Ozzy Osbourne for that kid blowing his head off or Judas priest or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, what I'm saying is, is that we as a community, cause there was people like us back then and they were seen as these evangelical extreme Christian, right? Well, because they are the ones who are going to bring this stuff to, because they're not part of the cult. The cult is secular. The cult is like, oh, God gets in the way of me having a good time. Mark my words, friends. What is, and I don't want to get too preachy, but I'm just telling you guys the truth. What's going to bring the ultimate downfall is the acceptance of degeneracy and music. Yes. Definitely promotes that. I mean, music is like one of the biggest promoters of do whatever you want, blah, blah. Well, what is do what you, that is do what thou wilt. Do what thou yeah. wilt is, is, is yeah. what's well, Crowley. Crowley. It's Crowley. Yeah. You know, and like you're going to take that guy, like he wrote a book called The Book of Lies. And then you have all these artists, you have the Beatles putting him on the cover of the Sgt. Pepper and Lonely Hearts Club album. You know, they were saying these are the people that we are influenced by these and we're trying to bring down the. The, the wholesomeness and you know that everything good about Western civilization has to has to be removed, and they can use music as a tool, to, and, and that starts when you're young, and then you get hooked on it. And like Holy I know people fuck. that were into that kind of music, and their lives are shit now because they kept listening to that kind of music and going to the shows and doing the whole thing. And it's like 
they didn't want to have kids. They didn't want to do, they didn't want to have a career. They didn't want to settle down. They didn't want, because it would get in the way of that lifestyle. And what, what is that lifestyle? When you come down to the core of it, it's pretending to be like the musicians, drinking, smoking, staying up late, yeah. partying, living that but lifestyle. Thing, right. But the thing about the musicians is that they can afford to do that because that's what they do. That's what they're getting paid to do. Right. That's what they're expected to do. Normal people can't do that. They'll lose their damn job. They can't show up hungover. These, yeah. these guys, artists flying around in private jets, you know, hungover. That's what we expect from these people. They're like court jesters. You know, that's the, that's the problem is that kids were like, they were sold a pack of lies. Like you could live like this without making money off of it. You know, yeah, dude. the downfall of Western civilization through the power of music episode title. There we go. <laughs> there we go. We're bringing it. <laughs> Guys, hey, this this was awesome. And obviously, mm-hmm. we are definitely going to do a part two here in the near future. Um, so uh, why don't you drop your info where people can find you and we will get out of here. Yeah, obviously, um, uh, Mudflood memes on Instagram, and then you can. There's a, a multi link there, and then Old Scary World on YouTube and uh, TikTok as well. And then if you want to buy any merch, you can go to OldScaryWorld.com. Cool. Excellent. Thank you for joining, uh, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah no man, problem. This is fucking awesome. I love this. Uh, uh, at Red Pill Cartel Podcast on instagram uh if you want to hear my podcast you can follow me on instagram and then look at the link in my bio <laughs> hey, Matt. it's amazing well, how thought? that works who would have thought guys guys we got to be better than this hey you know? if you are listening to okay. our podcast you are walking upright you have to be able to figure out how to type in the name of a podcast in a search engine and find it if need be. It's not that difficult. Amen. So with that said, you can find me. Look up The Great Deception Podcast. I'm on Instagram, YouTube, Odyssey, and BitChute as of right now. Um, And, uh, oh, Alt Media United. You can find all my stuff there. So, uh Go check out our work. Uh, go check out Scary's YouTube videos and some of his merch. He's got really good stuff over there. Davey's been killing it, putting out sometimes three podcasts a week right now. So go go show him some love over there. And as always, stay strong and question everything. What? Why do you think that is? I mean, why is that? I mean, is it just because people are are lazy today or they're bored? I mean, are we just like bored, spoiled children who've just been lying in the bathtub all day, just playing with their plastic duck, and now they're just thinking, well, what can I do? Okay, yes, we are bored. We're all bored now. But has it ever occurred to you, Wally, that the process that creates this boredom that we see in the world now may very well be a self-perpetuating, unconscious form of brainwashing created by a world totalitarian government based on money, and that all of this is much more dangerous than one thinks? And it's not just a question of individual survival, Wally, but that somebody who's bored is asleep, and somebody who's asleep will not say no? 
See, I keep meeting these people. I mean, uh, just a few days ago, I met this man whom I greatly admire. He's a Swedish physicist, Gustav Bjornstrand. And he told me that he no longer watches television, he doesn't read newspapers, and he doesn't read magazines. He's completely cut them out of his life because he really does feel that we're living in some kind of Orwellian nightmare now and that everything that you hear now contributes to turning you into a robot. When I met him at Findhorn, he said to me, where are you from? And I said, New York. He said, ah, New York, yes, that's a very interesting place. Do you know a lot of New Yorkers who keep talking about the fact that they want to leave but never do? And I said, oh, yes. And he said, why do you think they don't leave? I gave him different banal theories. He said, oh, I don't think it's that way at all. He said, I think that New York is the new model for the new concentration camp, where the camp has been built by the inmates themselves, and the inmates are the guards, and they have this pride in this thing they've built. They've built their own prison, and so they exist in a state of schizophrenia, where they are both guards and prisoners, and as a result, they no longer have, having been lobotomized, the capacity to leave the prison they've made or to even see it as a prison. And then he went into his pocket and he took out a seed for a tree and he said, this is a pine tree. He put it in my hand and he said, escape before it's too late. Of course, the problem is where to go because it seems quite obvious that the whole world is going in the same direction. This is the beginning of the rest of the future now that from now on, there'll simply be all these robots walking around, feeling nothing, thinking nothing. And there'll be nobody left almost to remind them that there once was a species called a human being with feelings and thoughts and that history and memory are right now being erased and soon nobody will really remember that life existed on the planet.